passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to the 90th percentile. It's your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Matt Pajak. Today, we are getting into a concept that we discussed a little bit uh, last week, which is the exposure funnel. We're going to discuss that in greater detail today, and we brought a guest on to join us. That is a good friend of mine, Brian Sikowski. He's a national cross-checker for Perfect Game USA. He's the director of their draft and JUCO coverage as well. Also, co-host cold weather bats uh podcast that covers michigan high school baseball welcome to the show brian how are you man thanks brother good man thank you for having me excited to be here with you and matt big fan of the show so thank you for having me yeah jeff and a couple of polish guys there we <laughs> damn go. right <laughs> a couple Polacks. there we go yeah there we go you can't say that you can't yeah watch your mouth bro derogatory don't, don't, man, don't... Cold have to stay hard i suppose don't come to Hamtramck with that energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, you know, the the famous put them on the hot seat question. Yes. Uh, Subway. James Jonathan's, Jersey Michael's, Capriotti's, 2-8 scale. Rank them. Grade them. Oh, gee. Subway's, Subway's a three. Um, because I, I don't think it's a two because it is kind of mostly edible. So like that's, a, and sometimes on the trail, man, you're in the only place that's open at midnight is the truck stop subway. So like that's dinner and it's gotta be at least a three. So rolling with that. Jimmy John's is a four. Um, I have them ahead of subway, but I still don't think it's great. Number nine with hot peppers. Um, and the Mike, man, it's like a 55. I think it's an above average sandwich if you do it right, but I don't lose my mind over it. Um, DeBellis is the seven. I don't know how regional that is. I know there's Mich- it's in Michigan and Ohio, but DeBellis is the, is the goat for me um, in terms of the sandwich. I don't know if I've had Capriati's. Um, the best sub I've ever had was on uh, – uh, was in Atlantic City, New Jersey, actually. I don't remember the name of it, but oh my God. Like White House Subs or something. 
something like that. It was unbelievable. That's number one. Firehouse? Um, but yeah, what did I miss? Any others? Firehouse. Firehouse. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. There we go. Yeah, I tried. Like, I'm a sandwich guy, man. Like, I want it, to, you know, like, it's, I want to, I want to, like, a good, like, I'm a sandwich guy, bro. I have a tough grade scale for sandwiches. So, you know. That's pretty high praise for Jersey Michaels coming in at 55. I mean, I, I've got him, what, at like 45? But, like, I've got him in the same order that you got him, right? My subway is like a 20, I think. I, Jimmy John's is like a 30 for me. Capriati's, so. though. Find yourself a Capriati's. I need to get some Capriati's, what you're saying? Okay, fair you enough. You get some Capriati's <laughs> in your life. Capriati's listens to every podcast. No, they don't. Uh <laughs> We've been, trying to get a <laughs> yeah. oh, we've, been, we've been we've been trying hard to get a sponsorship from Capriati's, but uh they they've just not been biting on this. They won't even like a tweet. Yeah. We put out specific Capriati's content with videos. Twitter, no one like it. With videos. Multimedia, multimedia like Capriati's content and just nothing. Just retweet it. Boomer social media directors. If that guy was if whoever was running their social media was was our age, he'd be all over. So yeah, that I think that tells you that it's of a different generation. I like that you think I'm your age. Um, anyway, Wait, I'm just being <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> we're all in the same ballpark, ish. Yeah, sure. Roughly. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, exposure funnel, Jeff. Yes, that's what we want to get into. So uh, we were going to talk it. about that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mentioned it off the rip. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about sort of how. There's certain forces, people within the cycle of uh, players progressing from, you know, the low levels of amateur ball, you know, beginnings of travel ball, uh, all the way up to the college game and the professional level. And, uh, you know, sort of how certain people get a certain amount of exposure for certain reasons, certain players, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's good or bad, you can decide, but it's not, it's, it's conflicting with the long-term development goals of players often and the skills and tools that are evident in players that maybe don't necessarily help you win ball games in the interim. Matt, jump in here. Cause I know this is, this is your baby and a concept that uh, I think you can articulate as well as anyone. Yeah. I love that. It's got a name, uh, the exposure funnel. You just got to keep drilling the exposure funnel. If you keep hearing Brandy. exposure funnel, then you're never going to forget it. Um, we all have to get twos. Yeah. Exactly. So the the whole idea here is that uh, you can't like a player unless you've seen a player, right? And uh, when I was at USA Baseball for a handful of years, four or five years from 2016 to 2020, um, I was able to kind of get like a close-up look at the identification process for the national team. And, you know, you see like the 12 of you guys and if 12 of you guys go in gold, then like those names become famous and the identification events moving forward. So it's a little bit of an inside track. Uh, you go to future identification events and your name is starred before the event starts because, oh, this is a guy who's, who's helped us win gold. So um, not saying that's right, wrong, whatever, but that kind of like plays into bias, which we all have, mm-hmm. right? We like what we've seen uh, perform in in the form of a player. Now where that gets tricky is that what wins at 12 years old, isn't necessarily what wins at 15, isn't necessarily what wins at 18. and isn't necessarily what wins at the professional level. Right. So, um, 
with that in mind, if you fall in love with a player who performed at 12, there's a chance that they're not the same guy at 15 or later on down the road, 18 or professional. Right. And it's not just a chance. It's, it's a pretty high chance. There's actually a lot of science out there. People have gone in and they've done research studies on like other sports as well. Um, early success in a sport, not being correlated to late success in a sport. Right. So understanding how the body develops and understanding, you know, that everyone develops at a different rate and having, I mean, the three of us have all seen it 12, U, 13, U, 14, U baseball, just get the biggest kid on the field and he's going to mash and that's what you need. Right. Uh, The problem is, is that that same kid doesn't continue to grow and then a bunch of kids grow past him and then they, they get surpassed. So anyway, uh, the point being of the exposure funnel is that at some point early on in a player's career, they are selected for a travel organization or yeah, most likely a travel organization. Let's call that like the 8U, 12U window, right? And they're being selected by a coach that probably doesn't have any kind of credentials to evaluate and decide on an 8U, 9U, 10U player, right? But those are the kids when they make those travel teams that play in the tournaments. And when they play in the tournaments and they perform, they get put in front of people making decisions on them for the right now to win games right now. And once someone likes you at 11 or 12, that puts you ahead of the kid who hasn't been seen, who may be good elsewhere. And then that kind of sticks with you all the way up. So, the, the thing here is like, when do you enter the exposure funnel? And if you get into the exposure funnel early and you perform for people, then there becomes this group bias towards like, hey, this guy always hits, this guy always plays. And then that guy kind of gets the inside track for opportunities as he gets older, right? He's the one that all the agents are crawling all over. He's the one that the college recruiters are all over when he gets to 15, 16 years old. And then really at the top of the talent exposure funnel is the professional scouting community. And they're the only ones that are evaluating for a player, not right now, not to win right now, but you know, two, three, four, five years down the road. Right. So they're looking at these players that have now become famous and now are ranked really high um, third party sites. You know, they've been on USA national teams and they're looking at it kind of like, with fresh eyes and being like, okay, well, we're interested in this guy. We're not interested in this guy. And there's dozens and dozens of guys every single summer that hit the circuit and the pros, the pro scouting community doesn't have any interest in them, but they're highly ranked and they've, they've played on national teams and all that. So that's the gist of this concept of the exposure funnel. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so we've got Brian Sikowski on here, and he's been around uh, amateur baseball for quite some time. Uh, you know, he has a role as you know a, an evaluator for Perfect Game. Uh, you know, I've got a role as someone who talks about amateur players. Jeff has a role as someone who talks about amateur players, and we're all involved in this thing uh, in some capacity because there's all you know we all have players that we like, and we all have players that we haven't seen. Uh, which doesn't even give us a chance to like those players. So, Brian, you want to just kind of talk about uh, kind of the world that you've seen uh, and how it's evolved and, and kind of how you've been involved in that over the past couple of years? Yeah. Um, to start, I like I couldn't agree more with your concept of an exposure funnel and then your explanation of it. Um, for me in particular, I'm very rarely, if ever, there at the beginning. I don't watch 8 to 12 U baseball. I never have. Um, back in the early days, my early days of perfect game, I would have told you that I, I'd included 14 U in my purview, but that was when we had like three total scouts, you know? So now it's more, I really don't see guys until they're 16. Uh, and a lot of times I don't see guys until they're 17. But um, there's like an annual little revival in the PD scouting group chat where it's like, I enter a thought on a player and Jeremy Brown, who sees players from the time they're 12, responds with, oh, you finally saw that guy, huh? Yeah, I liked him in 2017. Um, you know, some stuff like that. But but it's like, so I'm more, my role is ends up being more like you described with the pro guys. It's like, I'm kind of waiting at the end. Um, I'm kind of trying to go in with fresh eyes as much as I can on guys who are 16, 17 and like try and, and simulate that like first draft look as best I can. And that's not in any way discounting the history our, our, our scouts have with these players. I find that to be one of the more intensely valuable things that we do is, is having such a long track record with some guys. But um, yeah, there's always like a, a, Hey, why is this guy famous? Or conversely, like, Hey man, we nailed this one. You, you know, like th sometimes the dude who's a dude stays a dude. It doesn't always happen, but you know, right. Um, and like, it, it, so I, I like my role in that sense of like, I don't have to care at all who the best 10 year old is and I don't want to care, you, you know, but like it's uh, um, the, the funnel is correct because they're the guys are, it's the same vibe as like the first rounder who always keeps getting more opportunities because he was the first rounder, you know, whether he sucks or not, 
he's getting that fourth chance in double A to prove himself. Whereas the dude who outperformed him was an, but was an undrafted free agent, his first sign of trouble, he's getting cut, right? So right. it's it's kind of the same vibe where like if and like you said, if you make the 12U national team or if you make the 12U select festival for us or whatever it is, like you are now a little more predisposed to us giving you opportunities uh, and uh, the collective us, like meaning us as the industry, um, giving you more and more opportunities to kind of prove to us that you're not as good as we thought, as opposed to just like us taking you at your word that you're not very good. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And I think like, you know, I've had a number of conversations with agents over the past month about this topic. Right. And like, they're sitting there and they're trying to sift through it too. They're trying to figure out like, okay, 15 U national team trials, 16 U 17 U NCDP with USA baseball, you know, like the same higher level events at the same age groups for perfect game. Like, Okay, which of these guys should I actually be on? And which of these guys and, and it's not, you know, it's not to say like, hey, all these guys can't go on to have, you know, successful careers in in baseball, right? Like, you know, some of these guys are gonna be better college players, some of these guys can be pro guys out of high school, you know, whatever it may be. But the fact of the matter is, is that like going into last summer, and I think this is a great example because both these guys got drafted and paid pretty well, but there was some distance between them in the draft. Like Max Clark and Kevin McGonigal were both top 10 players in the class per rankings. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And it was when they were seen with fresh eyes that it's like, okay, Max Clark has really intriguing tools to match his ability on the baseball field, which makes him a top five pick. Kevin McGonigal is an exceptional hitter, probably one of the best hitters in the class and something that won at every level because he had such advanced bat to ball that's why he was a top 10 player in the class per rankings going into mm-hmm. that summer. Now you start looking at, at it through a lens of like, okay, what's this guy going to be three or four years down the road? And it's like, okay, he still needs to be that exceptional bat to ball guy, but his tools are going to be, his physical tools are going to be pretty average, you know, comparatively yeah. to that future subset of players. So one of them's a top five pick and the other one's a second rounder. Right. But they were both, top 10 in rankings going into that summer. So I think like, that's, that's really like, okay, well now you, you kind of like magnify that a little bit. And it's like, let's look at that list two years younger, you know, 15, 16 years old. And like, let's try and figure it out now. And now we don't have the opinions of the scouting community influencing our decisions on whether or not we should try and advise this guy or should we recruit him to our power five school? It's, you know, you're kind of like, Hey, am I going to be the only one who doesn't think Kevin McGonigal is going to be an impact player when he's 19 or 20 years old when you're seeing him at 15? Or am I going to be like everybody else where it's like, of course, this guy is going to be an impact player. He's hit at every level. He's the best bat in the class, you know? So I think that's where it just, everything gets really tricky. I think the, the dangerous part of this, and maybe you can speak to it a little bit is like setting the expectation and what that does to the player mentally when they see themselves as a top 10 player and then they get to that summer where people are looking at them with fresh eyes and projecting them for the future and they don't see them as a top 10 player and what that can potentially do to the kids. So um, that's always something I've been very, I guess, conscious of. And it's not just limited to baseball. Again, this is like, this is every sport. To me, and you can, Matt, speak to this better than I could just in terms of like a physical development window. But like to me, the two big jumps that I'm at least cognizant of 
going from 13U to 14U is a massive leap because you have to start playing on a real field with real bats. And we find out quick if you're actually good or if you're actually, you know, projectable enough to be good. And then the other one is going from 16 to 17 you because now way more people are watching you and way more people care if you know what you do and how you look doing it and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times like, and there are examples every summer and in 10 years, we can talk about the specific examples from this year. We're not going to do that live on air and air people out, but there are a number of players who were probably top 10, top 15 ranked coming into the summer who are not barely on draft boards now. And like that happens every single year. And the exact opposite happens. The dudes we've never heard of are going to be first rounders next year. What You know what I mean? There's a direct uh, correlation between the two or whatever, but um, it, I'm sure that that's horrible mentally, you know, on those players, like you've been told you're so good for so long and it's people you don't know telling you you're so good. And it's, uh, you know, people like perfect game with a, a certain amount of credibility saying, Hey man, you're a dude. And then all of a sudden, everyone's 18 now let's see what you look like and maybe you're not quite in that tier anymore i'm sure that's hell you know emotionally on a player and you want to say like uh well who cares what what a third party says who cares what anybody else says no it doesn't even matter what pro scouts say like just be yourself go play but that's so much easier said than done especially in the head of a of a 17 year old kid you know what i mean so it i'm sure that it's it's uh traumatic in a lot of ways i'm sure that it's it's a non like, like a not small amount of, of negatively impactful in, in some cases you know what i mean yeah i mean i can give you an example and it's a football example so it's a team that I, a high school team that i worked with last fall and their quarterback at the age of 15 was a top five pro style quarterback prospect in the entire country per some notable third party ranking okay um and he won a state championship yeah, you know, he's like six four, six five, left-handed, like can sling it, right? Won a state championship as a junior. And then he went and he did like the exposure thing where you got all the camps and you got all the um, you know, the big QB camps and everything that summer. Walked away with no power five offers. And he's like hanging his head, you know. And then he goes into that senior fall, and they're supposed to be coming off of a state championship. And in week two, he gets benched for the the guy who's a year younger than him. And he just kind of rides off the rest of the year into the sunset. Like he was a great teammate and in the whole nine, but he didn't have any interest in going and playing really smart, really academic. He didn't have any interest in going and playing at an Ivy. He didn't have an interest in playing because he had this expectation in his head from when he was 15 that like it's big time power five football or bust because I'm a top five player in the country. Right. So it's like, I, I kind of like saw it like firsthand, like, Oh, this is really interesting how this this kid's mindset is like, okay, well, if it's not this, then I don't want any of this. Realistically, if he was never ranked as a top five pro style quarterback at 15, then he might have been yep. over the moon to get an opportunity to be an Ivy League quarterback. Yeah. And you just described uh, a significant part of why the transfer portal exists, too, uh, in any sport. You know, not we're not talking just baseball or football, but in any sport, the kid who I have to go D one or bust. And if I can't tweet out that I'm committed to a D one school, then what, what am I even doing? And then bam, portal, bam, like automatic portal. Anytime I see a kid include the, the words D one in his commitment post, that kid's going to be in the portal eventually. <laughs> but it's, it speaks to the, like, 
you don't want to say delusions of grandeur because oftentimes it's not the kid's fault that he thinks he's good. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, it that sort of like this or nothing mentality that they get, that pedestal they, they put themselves on or get put on um, is nothing but a negative for the rest of their career a lot of times. 100%. Yeah, I yeah. think it also... I think yeah, also like, let me jump in here too. Like, yeah. I think also like the cycle startings earlier and earlier, um, particularly in baseball, right? Like, I feel like we know players that are one, two cycles out now. There's a, it's a lot more prominent now where there's rankings mm -hmm. for the 2024, 2025 draft while the 2023 draft cycle is still closing. Um, that's really common. And that's not just perfect game who, you know, was doing stuff like that early. Obviously it ties into all the events and stuff you guys are doing. We do it now four or five years ago, you really weren't able to find draft rankings that went, you know, anything beyond like 15 or 20 names, right? Uh, yeah. There might be some, some famous names, your Brady houses, those sort of guys. Now you can probably find a top 100 list for two draft cycles out the day of, the 2023 draft, yeah. you know, that um, doesn't mean it's good. No, it like, doesn't. Like, I mean, you and, know, has, has any value at all, but you know, well, <laughs> but I think like a perfect example happened, happened in this cycle with like a, a K, a Caleb Bonmer. Is that how I say the right name? Michigan guy. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Yes. Um, he, he was not a guy. I know he was obviously on your radar because you cover Michigan high school baseball. You're up in that area. He wasn't on the national radar. And he came out, had an incredible national, I think was kind of up and down throughout the summer, but like his highs were really high. And the feedback throughout the industry was very mixed. And it was funny because I felt like you had some that were maybe um, had less of a track record with him or the track record that they had wasn't all that impressive. Uh, it could be like what event they saw this guy at. Uh, and then other people could have seen national or, or you know, I think it was at area codes that he went off. I know he had a couple yeah. that went off and the feedback from people who saw him at those events was completely different where it was like, as a top 10 player in the class where other people were like, no, I think he's more like top 30, top 40, where it was like very different, like dichotomy in terms of how those players are viewed. And the best thing for Caleb Bonmer was the fact that he was promoted on Twitter and ranked by some people highly in lists and discussed highly because all of a sudden people like myself who, especially with the prep side of things, I cover more college baseball on the amateur side and mostly pro stuff. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden he's in my circle that like, I'm aware of who this guy is and that sets the expectations going forward. And you know, if it, if it's even earlier and I start to learn about players that are 15, 16 years old, because those cycles get written about more frequently and covered in greater detail. And there's more, um, uh, seemingly uh, ordered rankings, et cetera, um, that puts different expectations on those players at a very early age when so much changes. And I think we yeah. see it with the international market too. You know, it's not always the guys that sign for $2 million that even make it to double A, right? There's a lot of guys that sign for a lot of big money that you don't hear about for seven years. And you go, Remember that guy signed for $3 million with the Yankees out of the Dominican Republic, you know, but there's some guy who signed for a hundred thousand that ends up being a superstar. Like, so, you know, and, and there's so much that changes at that point too, that it's, it's just really hard for anybody to have any like certainty on this stuff. And it certainly feels like, and that media, speaks to worse. 
that's the yeah, fool's right. errand that is trying to evaluate 13 year olds. That's all. That's the only thing I can say. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I also think that, like, but the I, idea of like a 20. Oh, we lose Brian again. No, I think he's back. I'm good. No, you got too. Right. Yeah, yeah. You good? No, what I was all I was saying is like I think the idea of a 2025 uh, draft list for high school guys is just absolutely ridiculous. Because like if you think about it, and I'm going to pull it up here in a second. Um the 15U national team, I'm going to pull up the 2014-15U national team, and you guys can just get, like, an idea for the people listening of just, like, hey, like, these are what the top players looked like at that point, and now because this is, you know, almost 10 years old, this roster, like, you can see what they became and and what happened because of it, and I think it's a pretty good illustration of what happens with the, quote, elite 15U player you know, as they, as they go on that pool of elite 15 new players, they go in two completely different directions. There's kids that become prospects and then there's kids that, you know, they don't even make it at their college commitment. So, um, Jeff, do you want to see if we can get Brian back here? Brian, can you hear us? Yeah. I had him drop video. Yeah. I got told him to drop the video. Yeah. I don't even know if the video was it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think Bonhammer is a really interesting case, right? Because that's a guy who had you know opportunities from the start of the summer, and he was at all of the big events during the showcase summer. So, to some extent, he was seen enough to get invitations to all of the big events where he could go and prove himself, right? But you go back a summer, and and I call this uh, this is like the equivalent of blowing up the Death Star, where you gotta like you gotta hit it just right, and Walker Martin hit it just right. Yeah. Right. Like nobody knew, nobody really knew who Walker Martin was. And I think the one big event he was at was, I think he was, was he at PG National? Yeah. Yep. He was at PG National. He got a couple looks there and then he goes to Area Code. And that was like the first opportunity and only opportunity people really got to see him compete multiple times, I guess, in that showcase setting. Uh, day over day, he had a home run. He showed really well. Um, and then he signed for $3 million in the draft this year. And that's that's blowing up the Death Star because he he came into the exposure funnel very late. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have the benefit of being, you know, PDP League or, you know, 18U Trials, which, you know, I know for the scouting community is huge from just watching these guys compete. Uh, he wasn't at any of the other All-American games or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, and then conversely, you know, you've got a number of other players that, you know, you may or may not hear of that dance in the shadows of these big events or maybe at one and they don't perform that go to college and then they become a guy. Right. So like a guy I like is Avery Ortiz. Like he went to area code. He did not blow up the death star. You know what I mean? He booted a couple balls on the infield. He didn't look particularly great. Now he's at Oklahoma state. I'm still a believer in that player, but he didn't have the opportunities that a lot of these guys have where they could be at, four or five, six big events in the summer. And if you have one bad one, that's okay because you've got the next one to go show that you're not that guy. Um, and then just kind of going back to the topic of the, you know, super early high school draft lists. I think that's a ridiculous idea. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of speak to my time at USA baseball here because that's where like the whole idea of the exposure funnel really started was, 
you know, a guy who performs at the 12 U event and for the 12 U national team, like, you know, he gets a little star next to his name as he kind of goes up the ladder. Right. And let's like, let's look at like what a sampling of f- elite 15 U players looks like. And that's really what you're ranking when you're talking about two, three years out, you know, looking at a, a super early draft board for high school players. Right. So uh, just looking at history and this is a, a 15U national team that I think did really well. Um, but this is 2014. And some of these guys are big leaguers. And some of these guys were drafted really high. And some of these guys you've never heard of before. Um, and I think it's a really good microcosm of what looking at an air quote elite sample of 15U baseball players is in any given year. So you've got a team that has Hunter Green, Royce Lewis, Bryce Terang, um, just to name a few. You had some famous names at that time, like uh, Alex Terrell. Oh. That name rings a bell. Still, still the the best underclass high school batting practice I've ever seen in my life belongs to Alejandro Terrell. Yeah, twenty fifteen yep. Junior National or whatever the hell it was, dude. We were at Jet Blue. And my man was, I mean, pull side at JetBlue is not, you know, it's the Red Sox uh, replica or whatever, right? Yeah. It's not a short park. And he's going pull side with backspin like no problem and then hitting two irons over the monster, Oppo. And I was like, yeah, all right, great. Adrian Gonzalez, good. Let's move on to the next guy. <laughs> exactly. And that's what you're seeing at 15. And then, you know, kind of going back to like the, the expectation, right. That we talked about with the, the high school quarterback, like that dude gets to the draft and the expectations first rounder. And if it's first yep. rounder, if it's not first round, I'm going to Miami yep. and he goes to Miami and then, you know, the, the balloon continues to deflate. It's like the birthday balloon. It's two weeks past your birthday and this thing's, you know, it's sagging <laughs> a little bit. Right. <laughs> like No one cares you know, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then honestly, like COVID hits draft shortens, Minor leagues are condensing, and now there's not a place in affiliated ball for him. He's playing indie ball right now. That dude hasn't taken an at-bat in affiliated professional baseball, right? That was a a huge name, right? And then you've got other guys on here, and I know I mentioned it earlier, like Thomas Burbank, like Mm left-handed pitcher, uh, committed to Texas. I think he went to Texas. He didn't pitch. He bounced back to Rice. I don't. I don't know if he pitched a whole lot there. Maybe a little bit, but like, that's part of what you're dealing with when you're ranking 15 new players. Is you know, there's other names on here like John Durth, um, Jacob Blass, right? Sometimes the projection just does not hit. Yeah, and it's yeah. like you know when you're looking at when you're looking at 15, 14, 16 year old kids, it's like there's two evaluative schools of thought right there's like best players right now and guys i think are the best prospects and sometimes that's blended sometimes it's not sometimes people do a little too much of one not enough of the other blah 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 blah. but like a guy like burbank or or if i'm remembering right was a gorgeous left-handed arm operation up to 85 86 as a 15 year old it all looked great so that's the like Oh yeah, this is a guy. I know he's not maybe one of the best players right now, but like this all works together so well. It's beautiful. It looks great. Uh, he's athletic. Like he throws strikes. Everything. We're checking all kinds of boxes here. 
all he's got to do is keep his natural growth progression and he's going to be 90 94 and then we'll take him in the first round like you know it's really easy to just see that path for guys like that and sometimes it does not happen and like that's the but again it speaks to like it doesn't happen no one can pinpoint the guys it's going to happen or not happen to so what are we doing trying our best to rank out draft guys at that age anyways but you know but it's going to your back point to, it's all to your point yeah right going back to what we said before let's take the sample of 20 25 players whatever this is from the 15 year national team and in any given year those players like they've got you know a little bit of prestige to their name right mm-hmm. so like this is the roster of guys that for the next two or three years after that you know 16 u level 17 u level and then the the junior summer going into their senior year the draft cycle right like these are the guys that are invited to every event off of the prestige of their name because they were part of that 15 year national team mm-hmm. right so like now you know Blake Powell who's uh an infielder from Arizona like he's getting the invite to PDP league over Walker Martin right in yep. that in that given year or if he's there alongside Caleb Bonimer who's a little bit ahead of Walker Martin in the exposure funnel, but he's not quite Blake Powell because he didn't play for the 15U national team. Those two guys are being evaluated at the 18U event of like, okay, Blake Powell needs to prove me wrong and prove that he can't do it. And Caleb Bonimer needs to do everything right to prove that he's better than the guy that I've already won gold with. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing and- wrong with any of this. It's just human bias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's nothing Bonner, wrong with liking the guy that you've won with in the past. But you, it, you guys couldn't have brought up a more perfect example of like you talked about the bias of like, well, I've seen this guy perform. I'm going to like him. Caleb Bonimer is that example for me. I saw that kid at 14. He raked right away. I've never seen him do anything other than rake. That's my I'm never not going to be biased now with that. Yeah. He would have to go oh for the spring for me to be like, ah, I don't know. He probably can't hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and that. I'm we're, we're establishing that that's a, a natural process of the evaluation when it comes to bias and all that. But like, that is the example for me in this class, that kid for sure. Well, the, the tricky one for me was uh, James Wood. Oh, and see, I saw James Wood in the summer East coast pro. And I'm oh. like, this, this dude's bats electric. This guy can really oh, crazy. Like he oh. knows his own bat to ball skills, bat speed, the whole nine. I'm like, this guy's in control when he's in, in the box. And I didn't see him at all in the spring at IMG. I just heard it was really bad. So like Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, my memory of James Wood is that this is one of the top hitters in the entire class. And you know, everything I'm hearing is that this guy couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat during his, his spring. And I'm just like, well, I didn't see that. So like my bias continued to be that I like James Wood. Right. And he was the best player on the planet for a month that summer. He was the best player on the planet for a month. Yeah. It that looked like that, you know he was a he was an easy top twenty guy, and then somebody that like the industry tried to talk you off of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's always a there's always like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's interesting too. Like just the natural bias of players that perform in front of you. Like my examples are more collegiate based in the Cape Cod League. You know, somebody like Tommy Troy. Troy raked for me with Wareham. You know, came back with Katuit. First game hits like a walk-off home run, you know, coming from the College World Series or whatever in 2022. And Matt Shaw's hitting. I don't know a ton about Matt Shaw. I had seen Matt Shaw with like Worcester, uh, 
you know, playing in the the twenty the twenty twenty um, futures league. So like I'm like, oh, he's a local guy. Like he plays at Maryland. He's fine. By the end of that summer, though, it was like I had enough of a sample to be like, all right, like I think like Shaw's probably the better guy here, you know. And that slowly like has been I've been convinced of that. But like it took me a long time to believe that. And I think like you're dug in too when it's your guy. Um, and that's na- that's natural, not just for people in the public space, but behind the scenes yeah. as well. We're all human, as Matt's kind of alluded to. It's just the it's just human nature, you know. I think we see it with general discussions about baseball at, at all levels, right? I don't think it's necessarily unique to this. It's just, you know, once you're in the big leagues, for the most part, you you've had your opportunities. There's no <laughs> there's no concerns there, or pro ball in general too, right? Um, you know, the, things start to get a little bit more even at that point. Um, yeah, and like you also never know like what's what a guy's going through at a given time, or if he's right. like tinkering with something or whatever it might be, right? Like you know, to your point on you know p- performing in front of you on the Cape, like if, if you were there when Brendan Donovan was there playing for Hyannis, he hit one thirty eight that summer, right? Yeah. I don't think there's a a single person who saw Brendan Donovan that summer in Hyannis that was like, oh, I really like this guy. He's going to be one of the best hitters in baseball. Bat to ball skills, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it's just not the case, you know. So I I don't know. I think that's where it's I think like the whole gist of this conversation is just like understanding or at least having that perception of like, okay, if there's a player that I'm seeing here for the first time and he doesn't perform, that doesn't mean like he can't perform. I have to like appreciate the fact that like, I'm only seeing this guy in a small sample. Whereas I've seen these other guys in a much larger sample and you almost have to like find a way to like weight that and factor that into your evaluation of like, yeah, "Yeah, maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture on this guy. But I know for a fact I've seen the whole picture on this guy because I've seen him for four years at all the big events against all the best players. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I'll say the last thing, too, is I think that the funny thing is, is it, it, as it goes down the funnel, like all of those awards, all of those teams you make, like that follows you down the funnel to a certain point, right? Um, and I know it's like a point you made right at the right at the beginning of the show where, you know, the first thing you're going to do when you sit down and you have the list of names is, circle all the guys that already won gold or already played for these teams or had already performed or, you know, already have a certain level of helium, whatever it might be, depending upon the event or, you know, what you're evaluating the player for. Um, But that stuff kind of like follows players that, you know, even as they get into pro ball, it's like still like you're bringing up stuff that happened when a guy was 16, 17 years old, when they're 23 years old, you know, Um, it kind of, they kind of don't shake that until like 24, 25 and, it starts to become blatantly obvious that it's not going to work out or, you know, or it's just not the player that you thought it was. It's just, it's fun. It's funny how that awards and accolades kind of do follow you as well. And it's not necessarily like we just forget about it when somebody gets into the pro level, you know, it feels like we just, as a collective don't do a good enough job understanding that there are massive differences between every age at every stop of the way like there you know like we talked about a couple of them earlier the big the big difference between 13 and 14 for example is they have to play with real bats they have to play in real fields no you know no one's hitting the ball 107 and 426 feet at 12 years old or anymore or whatever because we're playing with real bats but i i think that like understanding that like expecting continuity out of a player's developmental path when he's a teenager or expecting 
development to be linear in general, or not giving enough credit to the fact that between each summer, there is a massive difference. And we don't talk about that enough. Like mm -hmm. 15 to 16, man, massive difference. You have no idea how much those kids' bodies change. Same thing from 16 to 17. Same thing from 17 to 18. You could probably make the argument of, what, 21 to 23 is a pretty yeah. substantial physical difference. All the way down the line, every year, there's that significant difference. And, like, you know, it's unfair of us to expect the, the best players at 14 or 15 to maintain their physical developmental trajectories with every single other player in the world of the same age group. And that – that's why, you know, like we're talking about, that's why the, the best players at 14 are never the best players at 18. And mm -hmm. we just don't, you know, like there is such a huge difference. Most of the time, every time you see a player, if you only see them in the summer, there's a massive difference every single time you're going to see them. And it's, I don't know if that's talked about enough. We talk about it in small bursts, you know, like middle school to high school or high school to college or whatever, but not in the incremental every year where it is substantial. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. the 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 human body is, I mean, it's the ultimate variable, right? Yeah. And like to your point, and I think that's kind of like to swing this in a different direction, and we won't get too far off track. But like NCAA changing the recruiting rules so you can't commit these kids at you know fifteen or sixteen years old, or what is it, fourteen or fifteen now? Like you yeah, you have to, there, but you can commit them at. 16. August of their junior year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Basically like fall of, yeah. Fall of their junior year, 16, 17 years old. Like, okay. Now we're getting a little bit further down the road. Right. So like a uh, player that, you know, cause he's from up in your part of the world, uh, Luke Leto, mm -hmm. right? Like Luke Leto is a dude who is 14, 15 year national team, LSU commit at 14. Like, and everyone's like, Oh, what happened to Luke Leto? You know, cause he was at all the big events that showcase summer and they're like, you know, we heard so many good things about this guy, whatever. And it's like, maybe it's not what happened to Luke Leto and it's what happened to everybody else. They all just caught up. You know what I mean? He was the best 14 year old I've ever seen. Yeah. But yeah, for the, anyways, that was a great example for that reason. But yeah, right. so I think everybody just caught up. And that's, um, that's very unfortunate for the kid because he's the best 14 year old you've ever seen. LSU commits him and then he sits there and I, you can even make the same argument for Ian Mahler, even though Ian Mahler did get into pro ball. Like, you know, like, you know, these guys aren't who they were ranked as when they were 14 or 15 years old. And I think mentally that can kind of hold you back a little bit. Cause I think that gets you in your head. Like, okay, I don't need to work as hard as everybody else. Cause I'm already the best and I'm more talented and this, that, whatever. And the reality is, is like, there's this tidal wave coming and it's called puberty. And the 80% of the kids that are your age that are behind you, in puberty are going to catch up and then we're going to see who can play. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and, and Leto at this point, what lasted 13 games at LSU was in the portal. Now at Kansas had a mm -hmm. pretty, pretty bad season, frankly, at, at Kansas over 41 games and, you know, is playing in the Appy league for, for summer ball, right? Like it's not even like he's getting into the Northwoods league and he's a, he's a Midwesterner from that area. They usually always take those Midwestern kids, right? Uh, he's from Kalamazoo, bro. He's a shortstop from Kalamazoo. He's getting that Jeter comp this whole exactly. way up. 
true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and I can remember there was a guy that was in one of my fantasy leagues that was not into prep ball or prospects at all. That was from Michigan that knew about Luke Leto and would ask me about him. You know, and it would be like, well, there's probably better players in the state of Michigan, actually. I remember articles being written. The next Derek Jeter, question mark. Yeah. Front page of the Detroit News. Like, you know, like, I, and he, that's the thing is he was yeah. <laughs> like that. You know, this dude was like, I stand like not no jump dunking a basketball with two hands at 14 and like throwing 92 and hitting balls 400 feet left-handed and running six fives at six one you know like six, not yeah. not a short small little guy at six one and skinny like that type of athletic not the he's already a ball of twitch or, or whatever type of athleticism mm -hmm. and like he had some injuries i don't I'm not going to speculate on what they were specifically because I don't believe I know, but like he had some nagging things that didn't help and blah, 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 blah. But like, you know, it's, that happens all the time. The best guy at 14, the dude who you like, I remember talking to, and this would have been four or five recruiting coordinators ago at South Carolina, but he went to camp and the South Carolina RC called me and he was 14, maybe he goes, yeah, dude, we just offered 90%. I think he's Corey Seager. And it wasn't ridiculous to say that, you know, but right. uh, well, of course it's ridiculous to say that about any 14 year old, but like, that's yeah. what it, it was that good where you were like, Oh shit. You know, yes. yeah. puberty happens. And, and again, I think some, there were some mitigating factors there with some maybe injuries that might've sapped a little of the twitch and, and, but you know, yeah, that's it mean, it kind of interesting because the guy who was also, I think he was in the same class or at least they played on the same 15-year national team together, Ryan Clifford, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like Ryan Clifford was also a big deal at that age, and Ryan Clifford ended up getting paid decently in the draft, and he's had some success in pro ball. The difference between Clifford and, and Lido is that, you know, Clifford grew another three or four inches, and, and now he's like a, a hulking like 6'3", 6'4", 200-something pounds, and, and Lido is literally the same body that he was when he was 14 or 15. So I think that's just another – illustration of what we talked about where like hey here's a sample of elite 15 new players and like they go in wildly different directions mm -hmm. and we leto's this the only reason i'm bringing this up is because the timeline fits but leto's a, a lot of guys's first events out of covid were pg national that summer right like that was the first we said all right what state is going to let us do this alabama dope nationals at the met um so and it was we found out in a hurry who worked you know what i mean like that was a probably as sort of fulcrum point an example as maybe we'll ever have of we have no idea what's been going on with these kids for three or four months now damn pg national starting let's see and we knew real damn quick you know who was working and who didn't and we'll never have that again where like somebody has an excuse to not do anything for four months but um, well, but it was, it was eye opening. You yeah, knew right I, away sometimes, like, you I knew right like, away. I felt like that was across the board at like every level. Yeah. That, yep. that was an opportunity for people to improve their tools and skill sets and do some work at like a very base level that they never would have had an opportunity to do, right? Just in terms of like athleticism, some of those like breaking things down. You could rebuild, if you wanted to, you could rebuild your swing, you could rebuild mechanics, you could learn a new pitch and get proficient with it. 
there was enough time. And you really think about the amount of baseball time that was off for a majority of these guys, you know, outside of the PG national guys, there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of players that, that took big jumps. I'm sure that spring, I'd have to go back and look at the names, but guys that weren't getting exposure that all of a sudden came out and, you know, were able to do something with it, which I kind of think speaks to exactly what we're talking about with development and time spent and putting in the work and, you know, how big of a deal that can be, especially in this sport. You know, I always yeah. say, it, I think in every show and every different topic, but this is, this is one sport where if you're a first round draft pick pro experience, you know, big league, big league experience is not handed to you. You know, you can be the worst pick in the NFL in the first round and you're going to, you're going to play in NFL games. Yeah. You can be Marcus Russell. <laughs> and still you will start a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you don't have anything off field, they'll keep calling you back six, seven, eight years right. later. I think yeah, Tavon Austin it. just got a phone call. Oh uh, yeah, I saw on Twitter yesterday. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but no, nah, Jeff, I think that's a good place to throw a bookmark in this one. Let's um, do it. I think we were we actually did a pretty good job of staying on topic there and and being as cohesive as possible. Uh, so yeah, shout out to uh, Sack. I apologize to your listeners for my Wi-Fi interruptions. Uh, but no, yeah. don't worry. We're gonna edit all that up. So no one will even oh, know great. It never the magic happened. of radio, baby. The magic yeah, of radio. Yeah, for deaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This stayed on topic because I talked a lot less. And uh with that being said, this has been the 90th percentile for Brian Sikowski. Follow him on Twitter. Where Brian? At B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. There we go. And Matt Pajak, this has been the 90th percentile. Thanks for tuning in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.